Welcome back to the Two Dudes, Three Legs podcast with your host, Zach Dingy. Tony Capaletti. Today we're sitting with Pat Clark, who owns Precision Pro Wash. He has nine locations in eight states. He runs Sales Boot Camp Conference, which is a big thing coming up on March 30th. We're going to talk a little bit about how he came from foster care, became from a van to a big bus, right? <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> his whole sales entrepreneurship game and how it shaped him in foster care. So let's start there. Oh, you fucking want to be famous. <laughs> Guys are looking sharp. Zach Dingy. Tony Capoletti. Two Loops, Three Legs Podcast, where we share business tips, interview experts, and travel the world. This week on Two Dudes, Three Legs. Start there. Obviously, there's a lot of stereotypes around foster care. How, is that, how did that help shape you to become the salesman, the entrepreneur, the business owner you are today? Man, so I, re- I really think it's the hardships, right? Like, the people telling me that I couldn't do it. Yes. You know, my teachers were like, look, you're... You're, you can't make enough money to support a family. And it really hit home for me because I'm like, who the heck are you telling me, you know, I can't do something? Who my, said that to you? My principal, <laughs> my teachers, like, I mean, they said I was going to be end up in, in debt or in jail by 18. Oh, my God. Um, you know, as I was growing up, they were like, when I started dating my wife now, they were like, you wouldn't make enough money to support a family. And I'm like, what the, you know, what, what the heck? And so this all came from living in the largest trailer park in Dover Plains, New York, right? My dad was never in the picture. He left my mom. My mom had a mental illness. She had mental schizophrenia. So when I would go to school, she held me back from school. I remember she bought me the hooked on phonics and I burned it. I burned it. I melted that thing. And it was like 300 bucks back then was like, my mom's living on like $125 a month, maybe, Mm -hmm. right? On social security. And I felt, I feel like really bad now, but she bought it to me, but I was like, I don't care at that point, right? And so going into foster care, I'll never forget it. It was seventh grade, and crazy thing is, I'm up here in High Park, right, mm-hmm. visiting right now. I just met with my teacher, Mrs. Simonetti, at Ever Ready Diner yesterday. We had dinner, and she reached out to me on Facebook. So it was like a whole, it's just crazy, how. and we're going to get back to that in a minute, but when I went into foster care, it was seventh grade. We're going to the dance, you know, and put on the cologne. Kevin, who owns the New York branch, he, we're playing ball, we're shooting ball in the basketball court in the middle of the trailer park. We got the community center, and dude, these cops come in, and it's orchestrated. They come in, they go down each road, they come into the community center, I'm like, oh shit, they're here for somebody, you know? <laughs> of course, they come over to me, and they're like, hey, Pat, is your mom home? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, you need to come with me, and I'm like, what did I do now? Because I was always in trouble. Yeah. Like, you know, my mom was calling the police because you know, something was going on, somebody was beating us up. Um, I remember the teenagers one year, they went around their mobile home at night with baseball bats, just hitting the side of the mobile home to scare the crap out of my mom. And so I was always like the dirt bag in the park, like picking on me, you know, I wasn't Mr. Popular. Um, And it was like, you know, I didn't, I was going through the thrift store buying my clothes. I I remember when Jordans came out and and it was like, I went down to the thrift store and they were size 12. I'm like seven, I'm like seven years old. I'm like, I'm getting those, (laughs) you know, size 12 shoes. But you've been a rebel since day one. You've always kind of gone against the grain. I have, I have, yeah. And it was like, you know, I'm gonna push my limits a little bit, you know, and I was always just pushing back on on the universe, if you will, you know what I mean? Like things would come at you and me and my mom would go downtown to Carol's gift shop and my mom really, I think, made me into an entrepreneur because she would make little index cards, fold them in half, and put little shamrocks with them, and we would sell them for a dollar fifty down at Carol's gift shop so she could buy cigarettes, right? 
even though we didn't have food, but it's, it's all good. So you were in sales for, you've been in sales forever. Yeah, forever, that's owner, right. Business owner, you were the salesman. Her business was cigarettes and she was getting and them. we were selling them, that's right, yeah. So you go in there at seventh grade, and then what is that experience like going from the trailer park to a foster care? Dude, it was it was rough. Like I experienced my first anxiety attack, mm-hmm. right? It felt like somebody stabbed me in the chest, and I was skinny. Like I'm, you know, a little bigger now because my 15 year old daughter's making cookies. But that's besides <laughs> the point, right? But no, I was I was skinny. I didn't eat very well. I was like cereal and stuff. So when I went into foster care, you know, it was an emergency foster home, and I think it was in Fishkill. And I had no idea because I was never out of Dover. Like Dover was my life. Like I didn't know anything outside of Dover. And so when I went into Fishkill, I had no idea where I was, right? Through going through my head, like in the, in the social security car, I remember like, I'm about to bounce because I know the woods, like the back of my hand. Mm. And I'm like, I'm going to go somewhere. But no, dude, it was like a ghost town. I was like, no, none of my friends were there. It was really weird. And I just remember being in my head, like, I'm scared to death. Like, where am I going? My mom was fighting the police on the front porch. And I was like, I had to be the parent. I was always the parent because my mom had the mental illness, right? Yeah. So she's fighting the cops. I'm like, mom, I had to calm her down so she didn't go to jail, right? And so they're like, get, you know, a week's worth of underwear and socks and then you're coming with us. And I'm like, what like, was this it that is sparked you having to go into? So she kept me out of school. Uh, I was on pins, parents in need of something. Yeah. Uh, principal came actually on a short bus mm-hmm. to come get me to go, go to school. Punched him in the face ran I hid and I was always kind of in trouble and stuff like that and so they were like you got to go into foster care I wasn't eating well so my best friend Eric Sloss lived right in the trailer next to me so and they're actually my foster parents now but I would always go over there and I would you know eat or whatever it was they would always help us out me and my mom supplement what you needed exactly yeah. yeah and so they were always there for us and I just remember going to that first foster home and it was like dude like somebody stabbed me in the chest I didn't know what was going on and she thought that I didn't want to eat the food, so I got punished. And I was like, at the new, first, at the new foster so, home. So walk us through that a little bit. You, one day they just say, hey, we found new parents for you. And they drop you off at someone's door. Yup. And you're like, oh, hi, mom. Yeah, like, well, I wasn't about to call her mom, right, but you right, know what right, I mean? Yeah, but, yeah, I got you. But uh, yeah, it's like, what the heck? So I got to eat dinner with and, this and, new and family. What age were you at, at that point? Uh, so I was, I was seventh grade, so I don't even. Oh, you are a rebel. Seventh grade, you're 13, 14. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I was and like so 13, I think oh, 13, okay. right? And, and you so, looked like you were probably a big kid back then, tall. I was, skinny, I was tall. tall. I just, yeah, I just hit puberty, right? Yeah. So I, I jumped up, right, in height. My, my, my voice got a little deeper because it was funny. We used to be like, hey guys, want to go play Tonkas in the dirt? Like my voice was like that, <laughs> you know. But when I went to that home, it was like, it was a shock. I had yeah. to fit in. Like they had an older son. He was listening to, you know. DMX and all that stuff so I kind of fit in a little bit with him like he had the subwoofer you know and that was all becoming popular so I was like all right kind of connect with him but that only lasted maybe a couple months and then I went into a actual foster home so I would have to meet my mom in Poughkeepsie in a room with glass all the way around it and it was it was like I couldn't, I had to watch what I said you know what I mean like it was like what the heck are you going to see your mom this month once a month I would see my mom and I'll check in on her. So when I went into this other foster home, this is, this is insane, but you're gonna about to hear this. So when I went in, they were like, hey, we found a new family for you. I'm like, great, because this is an emergency one, right? They don't keep, they just kind of, you know, yep. roll the kids through. 
And so they're like, hey, we found somebody. I'm like, all right, you know, it is what it is. What, you know, what do you want me to do? And like, well, you're going in with this new family. They never had a teenager before. And I'm like, okay, well, now I, I knew why, because they wanted them to do their dishes, clean their floors, do their laundry, dig the posts every day after school to make a freaking chicken fence. I did that. So you were like an indentured slave? That's, dude, that's what it felt like. So that is wild. Yeah, and I had to dress in preppy clothes going in at that age. I got picked on. I got beat up. I was in fights every school. And you don't have school. any type of person to go to when, to tell them that, right? Hey, I'm in this house, and they're using me for free labor. So, yeah, so listen to this. So I go in, and they give you a counselor and all this stuff. And I'm not saying bad foster homes are bad because there are very good foster homes out there. And, you know, and, and that's great, but there are ones that I feel like take advantage, and they want that monthly money. And so... I'm going in, right, and I meet with my mom, and this is where Kevin, actually, in the New York branch, saved my life, dude, because at this point, I was like, nothing's going for me. The world's against me. I barely see my mom, and so I went in, and um, I was out working on the fence one day, and I got into some briars, and I had no idea. Remember, growing up in the trailer park, that's all I knew. Now I'm out playing in the woods. I get some briars. I get this weird rash. Well, I wake up my foster mom from a nap, and she flips, dude. Why'd you wake me up from my nap? You're punished. So I got punished for letting her, like, I had no idea what was going on. So I tell my mom that in the next meeting in the, in the room, guess what? Social services tells the parents punished again. And then not to mention the dad was a big, like kind of looked like a biker dude, big beard on steroids because his shoulder. And he was like taxing people at this time. And so I changed the channel one time on the remote and he hit me over the remote. I couldn't use my two fingers. Told my mom what was going on punished again so then who's I'm, punishing you the, the parents, parents, the foster yeah, parents. he's reporting to his mother but the mother's not going anywhere doing anything with that information it's just getting misconstrued and you're getting screwed again yep wow. yeah so they would they would report it to the parents then i would get in trouble you know that kind of stuff so then i'm there like literally digging holes after school i mean there's a lot more in there yep. um but i remember like Kevin, he sent a letter and it had five bucks in it. Like we're young, right? He had five bucks and he's like, dude, whatever you're going through, you know what I mean? Cause I, like, I mean, I'm having suicidal th thoughts, you know, yeah, and I mean, this isn't the first time, at that point. but I'm like trapped. I can't do anything. I'm getting beat up at school. I'm going to different schools and every school, guess what? You got to fight somebody to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. To kind of fit in. So, uh. I mean, I went through multiple schools through foster care. So that was just it. And then my uncle ended up, I was telling my mom what was going on. So my mom was telling my uncle, but my uncles were alcoholics. I'm pretty sure they had a little mental illness now. They're not here anymore. They passed away from cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. We talked about earlier why I don't drink. Yeah. I used to drink a lot. Yeah. So did my uncles, but they, do, they died from cirrhosis. I found my uncle Rick in the trailer. I was riding dirt bikes with Kevin up in the park and the cops were outside. Sparky's out. My dog had a Rottweiler pit bull and, um, I'm coming down the road and the cops are outside. They're like, nobody's answering the do door. The dog's out. Like, so I had to go in through the window and sure enough, I went around the counter. He was going towards the bathroom. There's blood on the fridge. He's dead. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Died from so the you liver. You have seen a lot of hardship Crazy. as a Crazy story. Yeah. person. How long were you in that foster home? So you 13, 14, you move into the first one and then how many foster homes and how long until you're out? Yeah. So I went from that. So the emergency to the full-time foster home. And I don't remember to be honest. I don't know the times exactly. I try to actually remember, like not remember that stuff, you know, Lock because it, it yeah, <laughs> I, I think it was like a self thing. Like I make people laugh. I think that's like a coping mechanism. For if you sure. will, right. So I don't remember exactly the days. I do remember moving in in eighth grade with my uncle Rick. 
And then we were renting in a small apartment. I was living on a, a pull-out couch and he adopted me, but he was like hiding the alcohol and we would go to the American Legion post-1575 in Katona. I was going to Somers at this time. And we talked about it, my IQ, right? So Dover said I had a 68 IQ. Mm -hmm. Like they would test me and all this stuff. And I, you know, I was in special ed and all this stuff and they just kept passing me. And they never, like to this day, dude, I, I really, I'm not good at reading, mm -hmm. right? So I gotta do Audible, I'm reading books and like I'm self-educating now yep. because I want, I know, you know, you could be better, right? As long as you do whatever you put your mind to. That's right. what my mom always told me growing up. You can do whatever you want in life if you put your mind to it, period. And so I live by that now, you know what I mean? It's like, if I wanna do it, I'm gonna do it. Hell or high water, let's go. Yeah. And so when I was in foster care uh, with my uncle Rick, we got into a big fight actually before we, uh, before we passed away. And I, I was driving now at age of what, 17. I was driving from uh, Dover because we moved back in with my mom because the, the landlord had passed away and we can't rent that apartment anymore. So now I had to go back. I'm not supposed to be living with my mom. I'm driving an hour and a half down to Somers. I was working at um, uh, a grocery store there to make money. I had my first car at that, at that time. And you're not supposed to drive on highways and all, you know, I'm driving down those roads and stuff. And so a counselor found out when I was at Somers and they were talking about putting me back in foster care. And I was like, hell no, like no way. So I told my uncle Rick, when I found out what was going on, I knew they would just show up, right? So I told my uncle Rick, I said, look, I'm not going back to foster care. I'm moving in with my best friend, Eric. And I called Eric crying. I was like, dude, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm not going back to foster care. Like I will die before I go back to foster care. Yeah. And so he's like, dude, talk to my mom. So I talked to Jody and she's like, just come over here. We'll figure it out. Just come over here. And so I told my uncle, I walked in, in the trailer. And I said, I'm leaving. He's like, hell no. He's like three effing years, three years. I said, I don't care. I'm not going back to foster care. He chases me out of the house, out of the trailer. Mm -hmm. And I get in my car and I start my car, he whips open the door and I punch him in the stomach. And I just, dude, I throw it in drive, I run over his legs, I see him like, oh you know, God. in the road. I'm like, I, now I'm like, I'm going to jail. I just ran over my family. What a, I'm a piece of shit at this point. Like, big guilt trip. Big guilt trip, right? So now I'm driving out of the park, dude, doing like 90, 100 miles an hour, starts pouring down raining. And this is a God thing because I get into High Park and I'm coming down Crumb Elbow and you know where the camp is right there? Yep. So I come around and I'll never forget it. Do I'm a Chevy Cavalier. I'm like one, two and drive. Two would get up to hundred, drive, I'm hitting 120. I'm going around the corner at like 90. And I come around the corner and the car just starts kicking out. It says slippery when wet on the side of the road. And <laughs> I figure see that the, out. <laughs> yeah. And I see these headlights. So I'm sideways like this, driver's side, and I look, and I just see the fear in this lady's eyes that I'm about, I'm coming at her like this. And I don't know, I close my eyes, I pinned it to the floor, and I like come like this sideways again, and I'm sliding. You know the rock wall and the trees line around yeah, yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, Dude, I hit the bark, and I slide sideways, and the car goes all the way to here and stops. And the lady's like, she stopped. She's like, are you okay? And I rolled down the window and I said, yeah. And I'm bawling, dude. I put, pin it again. Cause I'm like literally right around the corner. <laughs> At this point, I like get in, I throw in the park, the car's like, you know, shaking. I get out, I collapse on their stairs and I'm just bawling. Like I just ran over my uncle. I'm like, I'm going to jail. I feel I'm such a freaking dude. Like I didn't care if I died. Sounds At like that this point. was rock bottom. Dude, it was rock bottom. Mental warfare, dude. Mental. That warfare. was a ride, bro. I'm sweating yeah. right now just listening to that. So that was your was, breaking point, and then you found stability in a new home. So, I yep. I started going to church. I went to High Park Baptist Church. I met my now wife. She was the hot choir girl. <laughs> 
So uh, <laughs> I followed her down to Bob Jones. That's what actually got me to South Carolina because I was like, dude, we can't afford you know, to live in New York starting. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's expensive here, right? Yeah, so I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I have no education. You know, what am I going to do? So I already had a job because uh, when I went to Bob Jones University, when I followed her down, we went for one year. I almost got kicked out. So if you know anything about Bob Jones, they have demerits. So if your hair touches your ear, you get a demerit. 150 demerits, you get kicked out. Oh my goodness. And I'm, I never had structure right my mom was like do whatever you want like i did whatever i want i got in trouble whatever right yep. and so when i went to bob jones it was it was good for me because yeah, i had you, structure you, you right needed structure and i needed it yeah but i i didn't really you know obey it too well but i uh i I've, we came back i think and i uh had a cd in my my bag so if you have like a game rated over a certain amount m for mature or something you get demerits I got 300 demerits. So I got into a fight there. I got 300 demerits, 150, you get kicked out. They gave me 140 for the whole last semester. And I was like, all right, I gotta do it, right? I gotta hang in. So I hung in for a year and um, ended up coming back. And um, me and Sheila ended up dating for like literally two months. And then we got married. I proposed to her right at Vanderbilt wow. on, the, on the water. And so I was like, look, I got a job lined up from a town student in Greenville, South Carolina. He said, come down. I knew how to drive the skidster. So we did grading for new construction. It was booming in Greenville. I was like, all right. So I did that um, until 2000, like the beginning of 2006 in there. And then I, uh, the painter was prepping the houses to wash them, right? For getting them for show. I said, I asked Al McLaren, I was like, hey man, what are you paying the painter? Cause I was making 500 bucks a, a week. I was like, what are you paying? What year is this around? This is 2006. 2006. Okay. Yeah. So the beginning of 2006. And so they, you know, obviously the economy, housing started going down that 2008, but it was really started in 2006. So they ended up going out of business mm -hmm. and I was prepping the houses. So I bought a pressure washer. I was putting it in and out. I was doing auto detailing, whatever it was. And then um, I ended up, they docked my pay a dollar because uh, something happened with it. I think his son didn't do something. He didn't show up on time. He's like, where are you? I was like, I'm waiting for Alvy. He didn't show up. So I got docked an hour. So I'm like, this is dumb. I'm, I'm out. Like, I'm just going to go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And so I always wanted to do my own thing um, down there. So I, I did mobile auto detailing mm -hmm. and then pressure washing. And I did that blood, sweat, and tears, man. Door you started knocking. on your own. You were doing it on your own. Completely on my own. Door you were door knocking to start the business? You know it. That's what you I like know to hear. it. And where did you That's figure that tactic out? Sort of by yourself? Just old school, yeah. Just going door. Because when we did it down in Dover with my mom, you know, I used to, well, we did a little things in the trailer park. Like we did lawn care and stuff like that, you know, mowing the lawns. Yeah. And I got Kevin into it. So we were mowing lawns there. So it was just, you know, what I knew down in the so roots, right? You just right? knew to naturally acquire your leads by going out and finding them going out and finding them well it them. seems yep. like the best thing foster care taught you was independence and just being able to to mentally go get through things no matter how hard they were so how was the beginning of opening up a power washing company from startup in an area you've never been to or shouldn't say never been to but area you didn't grow up in yeah place you yeah. go to and, yeah and i didn't know anybody driving force you know what is, what is your thought when you're starting these companies you know like you said and are you still thinking about these teachers and people telling you you couldn't? Is that, it was in the back of my head. It really was. But it was like, you know, I don't know anybody. I didn't have any friends really, you know, down in South Carolina. So it was like, I just got to get out there. I got to, you know, I remember um, reading something on the forums. You know, we had the forums back then. We didn't have Facebook or any of this stuff. 
And so I remember uh, the forums and they were like, hey, hand out flyers. And I remember I was gonna hand out 500 flyers. Like, this is funny, because you don't know what you don't know. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna hand out 500 flyers. I'm gonna be so freaking busy, <laughs> right? Like, you, you t- And I'm like, uh, you hand true. out 500 flyers and you get like one call. One, if you're lucky. One. Like, if you're lucky, dude, right? every 100 cards I hand out, I get one phone call. So we have it down to science now. Um, doing this so long we get we put out 40,000 flyers a month we do clip flyers I invented the clip flyer in our industry we throw them on the driveway it's non-pressure roof cleaning they get it and then they're like non-pressure roof cleaning what do they do they turn and they look right at their roof it brings it in the house we get one call per 98 flyers now on our in the busy season one call per 600 flyers in our off season so we got the message down to message over brand and then on our yard signs it's brand over message but we'll get into that in a minute so starting off had no freaking clue how to, you know what I mean? Like I, I knew how to make a, cu- a customer happy. I knew how to wash their house, whatever it took, right? Yep. But I didn't know business. I was 20 years old. Didn't know anything about business. So four years. So fast forward a little bit to 2008. I went to my first NCE. It was National Cleaning Expo in Charleston. And it was four hours away. Couldn't afford the hotel. I had two kids at this time. They were literally had a 1995 Astro van. Uh, two kids' car seats were ratchet strapped to the backs of the front seats. Water tank in the back. Ratchet strap, right? So they were welded though, so it was safe. It was safe. <laughs> All right. But we ended up dropping our two kids off at her parents' house because when we moved down, we kind of got them to come down to South Carolina too. So we dropped our two kids off. We went to the event. Uh, I put a mattress in the back of our event. Again, it's going back, right? Hell or high water, I'm gonna make this work. Right. So I was like, look, we can't afford the hotel. She was like, good with it. I'm like, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna sleep in the van. And people at the event remember that. They're like, did you sleep in your van? You know, I was like, yeah. And one guy actually, I don't know his name to this day, but he let us use his shower, which was like amazing. Awesome, in the hotel? In the hotel, yeah. 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 He's like, dude, you can use our shower. I was like, dude, that's amazing, thank you. And so went to that event, dude. And one guy was like, I'm sitting in like the third row back. And me and my wife were like, I don't know, we're scared to death, right? 2022. 20, 20, and um, so there was a guy in front of us who was like, yeah, I sprayed this stuff on the roof and it took me like two hours and I walked away with 1200 bucks. And at that time I'm making, you know, 600 bucks a week, a week. maybe. That's two weeks. Yeah, yeah. and I'm like, sh- I'm like, shut up. this guy doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, right? Sure enough, I started researching it, right? And I got into roof cleaning. So that event changed my trajectory. It's amazing. And so now it's crazy thinking back. Like, so that was 2008. Um, started going to more events. I got a business coach in 2010 out of Florida. And we ended up in 2012 doubling and tripling our company. It's wild. You're always one person away from changing your life. And that was the one person. Another thing that's I'm right. noticing about you that's very different, what really sets you apart from other people is that even when you're down, right? You're, you're a young guy, you're not making a lot of money. Most people in that situation, they just keep working and working and working, but they do not further educate themselves and they don't learn how to get themselves into a better position. You were living in a van and you went to an expo. That's what sets you apart from other people. That's crazy. What is it that drove you to continue your own education and seeking out how to do things better and better because a lot of people don't do that and I think that's their biggest mistake is they don't invest in themselves. What was driving you to do that? That's a good question. And I think it was just providing for my family. Like I wanted to provide for my family, right? You had I wanted two to kids be at that time. You're two 20, kids. 21 wanted, years old. Yeah, two kids. And so I wanted to be the dad that I never had, right? I wanted to set them up for success. 
And I think like, I, you know, you have that inside of you. You know what I mean? Like we have that burning fire of like, there's something better. There's something out there. How do I grab it? And then you read these books, like the E-Myth, right? That changed my life, right? And it was like, it changed my paradigm because it was like, you are, you know, around your five circle or whatever it is, you're 5% of the people you hang out with. So if I hung out with the people that were in the trailer park that are in jail right now or dead, you know what I mean? Where like, yeah. And so I knew there was something better and I knew I just kept it. I had to, you know, change my mindset because once we change us as entrepreneurs, our businesses will change. Yep. And I think I just saw that, you know what I mean? Like in people and other business owners, like when I worked at Eddie's Auto Repair, I remember standing there and I learned lessons and I, I kind of like, I pay attention if you will, right? And when I was at Eddie's, I was standing there, we were doing the gas station, but I used to go there every day after school and he's like, no, nah, we don't, I don't have a job for you right now. I'm like, dude, I'll sweep this parking lot right now. And finally he gave me the chance to sweep the parking lot. He's like, dang, that looks good. So dude, let me paint the curbs. All right, let me do that. That looks amazing. And I worked my way up to pumping gas. But I remember standing there, it's cold. I used to get the drinks for the mechanics. And I'm standing there, I got this zip up, you know, jacket, and I got my hands in my pockets. And Eddie would come in and dude, Eddie's hilarious, right? And so he came in one day, he's like, Pat, what? He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, I'm waiting for the next guy. To, I'm gonna pump his gas. I check his oil. Like I put license plate on, you know, Eddie's auto repair. I'm waiting. He's like, no. He's like, put your hands up. And I was like, what? You? I was like, all right. So I took my hands out of my pocket, put my hands up. He took the stapler off the desk. He stapled my pocket shut. And he said, look, Pat, he's like, I know you. And I don't want anybody to judge you on your character because you're a hard worker. He's like, when you're standing there, what, what are you doing? Right. And from then on, I swept the floor. If I swept it, you know, just wow. 30 seconds minute. Right. And I teach that to my team now because everybody watches. Yeah. What a freaking lesson. That's crazy. These staples, your pockets closed. Yeah. Dude, yeah. <laughs> Get your hands out of your damn pockets, boy. <laughs> exactly. Such a moving. powerful way to learn it, though. He's like, yeah, like even though you thought you were doing everything you could and you thought you were doing your job right and everything, he's like, dude, you can always be doing something better. Always. Which is a huge lesson to learn in business, entrepreneurship, and especially when you're starting, when you're bootstrapping a company from zero, there's always more work to do. Always. Work never ends. It's a eyes open, eyes closed. So 2000, I think you said 14, 16 is when you started doubling your business. Yep. Yep. Okay. And you had a business coach. How yes. was that? Like I hired a business coach recently, like six months ago, actually, we, we use the same guy now we and that's changed a lot of, well. yeah. nice. Yeah. that's changed a lot of my personal life, Okay. which what you said is, you know, your, when your personal life changes, when you change your business changes with you. That's right. So what was it like hiring the business coach? Did that, did that have a big impact? Dude, it was life changing because I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about business, CRM, right? Tracking the leads, um, you know, the production side. I didn't know about advertising, right? So I saw him at an event and when he opened his third branch, Delray in Florida, he did $187,000 his first month. I'm doing $125,000 a year. And he was doing power washing. And he's thing. doing exterior cleaning, mm -hmm. correct. And so he had a different model on it, right? And I'm like, I need to know that. Like if I can, if I can you know, make a shortcut, collapse time, if you will, and get his knowledge and I'm paying it out, it was my last $4,000. No joke, dude. I was gonna throw in the towel and I was gonna go work for the railroad in, in South Carolina because I was like, it's rice and beans in the winter. If you know washing, I, you're not washing when it's snowing out, right. right? And so it was rice and beans in the winter time. And then once March hit, I'm like balls to the wall. So I was gonna actually throw in the towel, but I got this quote, Winston Churchill quote, never, never give up. 
and I get goosebumps right now and I have the plaque. My mom gave me the plaque. I was hearing it and I remember talking to my wife. I'm like, I keep getting this quote, you know, never, never give up. And she's like, I am too. And I'm like, shut up. She's like, somebody just told it to me. I heard it on the radio. I'm like, I think God wants us to keep doing this. And so I spent my last $4,000. I picked him up from the airport in my Astro van, my wife's sitting on a five gallon bucket because we didn't have a back seat. And he gets in and he, it, it's funny because he looked at pictures. And he's like, oh, I'm actually going to an actual company. And you, you do, you fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. So I took my company picture um, in front of my apartment complex. I'm living in an apartment complex. And so I took it in front of the garages and I had my neighbor coming in it. My, my, uh, my wife's brother oh was in God. it, right? Actors. I didn't have any employees. Some B-roll players. Yeah. Love that. And so he's like, I'm actually going to a company. And dude, I was subleasing one office from my t-shirt company, you know, and like we're doing it all there. And I was like, we had to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So the last $4,000 hired him and I said, I'm, I'm investing in myself. Dude. Like, let's go. That's huge. And then you made it. So a couple things there. One, it's always that last shot you have to take, right? We, we, you know, we knock on doors. You were knocking on doors. It's always that last door you don't want to knock on where you make the appointment. It's always the last thing when you're ready to give up. It's always when it happens. Another thing you said that was really important. And I think the way you phrase it was, uh, collapse time. That's what you gain when you get a good coach. They went through all the bullshit. So if you can sit with them and listen to them, you, you get to skip all of that. And you've said that before, but it's just amazing to hear from another person who's experienced it. Uh, and then I just want to double back real quick, and this is going real far back, but the question's in my head. Was that the last time you saw your uncle when you ran over his legs? It was. That's- yeah. It sucked, dude, because I never got to say sorry, you know? And... When I saw him, it was like, what the heck? Because yeah. we, we were fighting, you know, we yeah. didn't talk after that. And then he passed away. But you're a holy man and you believe he's in a better place now and you're doing work yep. for him and you're doing good for him. That's right. All right. Well, yeah, man. but that's hard to live with. That's it tough. Is. And I had to bring my mom down. My mom had the mental illness. We moved her down with me. She actually lived with us when we first got married. That's that's a whole story in itself. That's another podcast, right? <laughs> but you know, you, you do you got to give back. You know what I mean? And you you got to support your family. No How has what. that shaped you now? What bringing her down and all those no, things? No, that incident with your uncle because that will change you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sucks. You know what I mean? But I think you got to seize the moment. You know, and it 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 brings it back to us meeting. Like you got to make things happen. Right, you got opportunities are going to come. Are you going to take? Are you going to accept them, or are you going to close the door on them? And I think with those things, it's like, man, I wish I could go back and just say, call them and say, dude, I love you, man. You know what I mean? But I didn't get that opportunity. So now, when I look at opportunities, I say yes. <laughs> You'll notice I say yes a lot. Yeah. Say yes to everything. Yeah. You you got to right because you never know. And I the way I explain it is, I've been doing this now for 17 years. And you get above the clouds and, you know, you take one ladder above, above the clouds. Now there's two ladders. Which one? You have the choice. Which one are you going to go up? Then you get above that one, there's three ladders, right? And you meet people. And then they bring you into their circle and you level up each mm. time, you know? And you want to be around successful people. If you're not around successful people and you're the smartest person in the room, get the freak out of the room, period. You know? Because I want to be learning always. I'm always. I'm a sponge. You have a sales boost. 
which is essentially a conference you put on where you have guys come in and that's kind of your whole MO now is you've become a sales guru essentially. So what is that conference like? I know it's got it coming up in March 30th, but tell us a little bit about it. Yeah. So it's, it's not like your typical conference. It's hands-on. Nobody does this in the industry. I go out and put myself on the line for you guys and I go out and actually do the sales right in front of everybody. So it's going on six years. So Again, going back to when I was in the crowd, right? I want to empower people now. I want to show them and I want to give back. Um, and so I opened it up to the public. The reason I started Sales Boost was for when we started doing branches and Kevin in Binghamton joined us. I was like, dude, we need something where they can come every year and get more sales experience because nothing happens in your company unless a sale is made, period, right? And so I knew I needed to get really freaking good at sales and I was young. I remember I had to wear glasses, like I wore the button up shirt because people <laughs> were like, you're the business owner, right? Yeah. I still don't tell people I'm the business owner now because they don't believe me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so um, when I started doing all that, the door knocking, the clip flyers, the marketing, right? I started honing in on those things that why am I winning? I started tracking my KPIs. I started looking at what lead, you know, how did you hear about us? Clip flyer, yard sign, truck sighting, right? And then I started pouring my, my advertising back into what was working. Right. And so I'm a big boots on the ground. You know, you, I talked about Goya earlier, right? Get off your ass and just go get it. So I teach Goya marketing. Get off your ass marketing. Don't just do Google. Don't just do Facebook and expect the phone to ring, right? No, get off your ass, get out there, knock some doors, make shit happen, yeah. right? And that's what I did. And so when I launched Sales Boost, it was for the team. And then I was like, we need to open this to the public because it's, it's doing really well. And so it helped pay for the event. It helped the guys come down. We actually do a private event for just the PPW members. We do go-karting. Um, we did top golf the last time and we have a bat. And the crazy thing is I had a business opportunity in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and I went to the bat, whatever it is, I forget what it's called, but the Louisville the Slugger. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I had a bat made with our logo. So now we pass the bat around. So whoever had the best year, was like top tier uh, investing in everybody in the branches and helping everybody, not just revenue, but what else are you doing? How are you contributing to the community? And so whenever we pass the bat around each year, they get their thing engraved, their branch engraved. Wow. So That's it's all a about huge culture building tool. So you obviously have an excellent culture. I wouldn't say excellent, but we work towards it, right? We really have a camaraderie. We're a family. And, you know, I hear people say culture, culture, culture all the time. And it's hard. Culture is very hard, right? Yeah. But you got to have your mission, value, purpose. And I haven't written out, but do we all like know it by heart? No, right? No, I can't. You're not going to meet my employee in Seattle, Washington and say, what's his you know, thing? And he's not going to be able to recite it, right? But my goal eventually is to have every single one of our team members to recite it. Because you'll notice in there at the very end of precision, you know, at precision, it says never, never, never give up. And that's one of the little acronyms because you can't. Why? Why give up? There's so much that this world has to offer. And if you can bless somebody else, that's what it's all about. Yeah. yeah. Which we just posted actually a reel today on my Instagram that was when I started what I was doing now and I was a sales rep, when I was getting into it, it was in the beginning for me, it was just make enough money to make money and live. And then it turned into, okay, I want to make a lot of money so I can afford cool shit. And then it became, I want to do this to help other people. And I was saying when it became that, when my mission was like, I want to change other people's lives, I never had more energy. I never worked harder. I never did more things inside of my business than when it started to become about other people. Yes. Choose about other people and helping other people. 
You never, I, like, I'm not, I would give up on myself before I say, hey, Tony, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm never going to give up on him. That's you know right. what I mean? Yeah. So mission is huge because once you have that in line, then you have this thing, this whole goal you're working towards. And I would say, um, not to like toot my own horn, but we got 50-something sales guys in this, in this office in my company. Sales guys and our culture is phenomenal because we have these guys that are hungry. They want to help each other. They had to go out and earn it. Everyone on our sales team yep. started at knocking on doors. There wasn't, oh, you, oh, you're good at sales? Okay, cool. You don't have to knock on doors. We'll give you leads. No, 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 no. You yeah. had to go earn it. And because they earned it, now they respect everyone else. They respect the, the office, the company, the culture. You know what I mean? So I think that's a huge part of the puzzle. And uh, I don't really have a question to end that part, but so I was just saying it. I love what you said because yeah. your mission and your your personal why I think changes, right? Because it was like, for me, it was, I need to make a million bucks, right? In pressure washing. Because nobody did it in pressure washing. I'm like, I'm going to make a million bucks. And when we did, now you're like, now what, right? Okay, what's the next thing? Well, now it's about, you know, the community. It's about giving back. And I think your why will change as you grow because you're going to grow as a human being. And my why changed. It was like, no, it was about my staff now. Because exactly what you said is like, I want them. And there's this book, it's called, um, uh, wow, Manager. What's it called? Shoot. Who's it by, do you remember? I don't, I'm trying to remember the name. I just read The Dichotomy of Leadership. I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's yeah. a really good one. This one's like the, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's about a manager and like uh, the dream manager. That's what it is. It's the called dream the dream manager. manager. And so it's about your team and what their dreams on. And it helps you as a leader to coach, not on me, not on the company goals. I want to coach you on your goals. Mm -hmm. What are your goals? Because if you're not hitting the mark, I can say, hey man, I noticed you're not going to hit your goal this week. How can I help you? Mm -hmm. It's a different, right? Not, hey, you're not going to hit your sales goal. The company's, you know, it's not this. It's how can I help you? And so the dream manager talks about, do you want to buy a car? Do you want to buy a house? How can I help you do that? Because then they're hungry, like you said. And I love that. You work for your guys, you, you, not the other way around. You know what that's I right. mean? Well, in a, in a good, I think that's the difference between good culture and bad culture. Is yeah. You have bosses that will reprimand you for not performing. And then you have culture like us, where if you're not performing, we're there to help you. What's going on? How can we make it better? Yeah. And it's not all about the money necessarily. It's about the effort. So like with my sales team, when they go get like, so if we have a company lead or they go out and they flyer and they have a lead come in and we're like, hey, we got a lead out here. They have to come back with two leads. So they have to, they have to replicate that lead, you know? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because when you go out to the quote, guess what? That person wants it. I guarantee the neighbor does. Yeah. Right. And you're already out there. You already spent the gas to get out there. Get off your ass, go knock on the neighbor's door and say, hey, by the way, Mrs. Smith just signed up. I can give five neighbors while I'm in the community an extra $50 off. They're like, hey, and if you don't want it, and this is what I say, and if you don't want it, I completely understand. I know the neighbor will. Oh, <laughs> right? The old takeaway. The old takeaway. That's, That's right. leveraging your time and effort right there. That's right. That's smart. So you got to do those little things, right? And we talk about that in sales boost. And we talk about the things that worked for me, genuine, genuine things that worked that I did. And again, I'm always learning, right? Right. But the thing about sales boost is different because we go out on site. So mm -hmm. we're going to have over 150 people at this event. I've rented two 56 passenger buses, coach buses, and we're gonna go out to a community and we're gonna do four quotes on site and we're gonna break up into groups. So we have smaller 30 people, 35 people groups. They're gonna have a workbook that we actually had to measure. Like what are the five things that you look at before you even talk to the homeowner before you go in? I, I have a buyer's guide that we send out. We have asked the seal that we send out from every rep, their background check. 
right? So we break down the barriers before they even get to the quote. They look at our website. They buy from whom they like and trust, right? So my story is on our website. You know, do we give a percentage back to the community? Heck yeah, right? Because they're gonna they're not buying because they want their house washed. They're buying because they like and trust me and my cause. And I think that's different too. So we're gonna show them. I don't hold anything back from the basics all the way into commercial. And we do a lot of commercial, a lot. We go, uh, we have 11 hour bubble. We go to Pensacola, Florida, Tennessee, uh, Texas, and we do large apartment complex, $150,000 jobs. Wow. Yeah. Holy smokes. How much your, of your business is commercial compared to so residential? So we do 60, 40. So we 60 do 60 commercial. residential. Oh. Yeah, 60 residential. Because I always say, so in exterior cleaning, residential pays the bills. Yeah. Commercial goes into the bank. Yeah. Mm. Right? That's what buys the trucks. Mm. Yeah, we're talking. I remember my first commercial job. It was like $42,000. And uh, it was in um, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. And, dude, me and my wife are like chest bumping. We're so excited. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, dude, my first one. <laughs> but another crazy story is we ran out of money. I had my first truck. We didn't, we didn't have the staff to do my first commercial job. And um, I, we, I had a ranger. I was doing the roof cleaning and my sales rep and we hired a temp agency guy to get this job done. So they're washing the building. I'm doing the roof cleaning and we get halfway. It's a two week job. We get halfway through and I you know, was renting a little uh, days in or whatever it was, extended stay hotel. Yeah. And dude, we ran out of money. And my, my wife's like, we, cause it was, it was only me, right? No residential crew at this time. And I said, we ran out of money. So I was going to the gas station every day and filling up. And my one Ranger was wrapped. We did the full wrap on it, non-pressure roof cleaning. On Friday, I'm like, Lord, what do I do? Like, are we just going to pack up, go do residential, then come back? And that looks bad, you know what I mean, on, on a commercial level. Went to the gas station. Some guy goes, roof cleaning? He's like, nobody does roof cleaning around here, but my roof is dirty. He's like, would you give me a quote? And I'm just like... Yeah, <laughs> right? Now. I'm like, we're actually down the road right now doing a large apartment complex that's cleaning the roofs. I said, I can give you a quote on Saturday. We can do it on Sunday and I'll keep working. I'm like, holy crap, right? So down to the wire, dude. And like the magic. Hotel, 500 Always bucks. All I need was 500 bucks for the hotel for the next week. Yeah. So ended up cleaning the guy's roof on Sunday. It paid for the hotel for the next week. Got the job done. Got paid right away. The resourcefulness Wait, is Wait, why didn't you guys just bro. sleep in the Ford Ranger? Right, right. <laughs> I think my uh, sales guy would be pretty upset. But. <laughs> so I think it's also really interesting how you you said earlier, you know, we were talking about how you always want to educate yourself. And I think that teaching other people furthers your education. Right? 100%. So I have this sick quote that I, I don't know where I got the quote from, but I altered it a little bit, right? And you think I'd be able to remember it, but I got to read it. It's the quote was, I hear, I forget, I see, or I, I remember, I do, I understand. And then I added, I teach, I master, right? And I think that that's what you're doing. And I think that a lot of the real high level sales guys always go back and they teach. Yep. And that's how they get to the master level. I agree. I think that's so interesting that we keep seeing that. And it sort of seems like it's the natural way of growth. Yeah, you because you're it. going over it now, right? When you teach it, it's, it's different, right? And you're refining you're it. You're refining it, exactly. And then that's the thing about sales booths too, is we put it to the test. Like this isn't stuff we just learned from a book or anything. Like we're practicing what we preach too. And it gets better and better and better every time. But when you teach it, it's a whole different level. You do. I think the mastery comes in at that point. Yeah. All right, so coming from what you, you came from, foster care, struggling uh, in a trailer park, 
You said you went broke after you made your first $42,000. What was yes. it like to actually make it? You, whether it was your first 100000 million, whatever it was, when your business really became and grew what it was, what was that like for you? Man, and I think it was it was breaking the million, right? It was yep. breaking the million. That's usually the number. That's, that's what was in my head, right? And it was like, it was, don't get me wrong, like it was amazing, but at the same time, it was like, oh, crap, like that wasn't that impressive, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you're always kind of looking, and I think, you always think there's more, you know there's more out there, and you're like, okay, let's go, what's next? But it did change for me, like, when we broke the million, it was like, okay, cool, we got all the trucks, but there was still a lot of pain in that. And I think growing the business, there's a lot of pain, right? Like, even at a million, we were still, we had a lot of holes, right? Like, in staffing, in um, uh, just the payroll, right? Now I got way more payroll, like, making that and stuff like that. Now it was pulling the money out of the company, right? Because profit is for vanity, uh, net is for sanity, right? And so, you know, you think about these big companies, you're making it all, but that's fine, but you're really not making any money. And I think when you're netting, and that's when we really started diving in, pulling the net out of the company, right? And then you start tracking the dollar per hour when my guys got on site, when they left. And if we were making $300 an hour or more, I knew we were good. And then we started racing the guys and it was fun competition, right? And you get that camaraderie. And we had this wall of fame slash shame in the, in the warehouse. <laughs> and the guys would come in and they'd be like, oh, they're like, James got a touch up, right? <laughs> And you made it fun. And I was like, dude, if you win this week, we're doing a video and you're gonna tell everybody else on the team why you won. And you know, one guy was like, dude, I'm on the money train, baby. You ain't catching me next week either. And it was just fun competition. We make people say, quack, quack, I'm a duck. I can't sell solar worth a fuck. (laughs) But we do also, for for we used to, for whoever performed best of the week, you'd come in on Tuesday and we'd give you a gold chain. Oh yeah, we got this big big gold chain that says Knockstar on it. So, Same shit like that. But it's all good. So, culture building tools. That's right. So when and you got, it encourages you to work big time. Yeah. That's right. When you got to a million, though, you really didn't feel like you had made it because there was so much. There's still uh, so much. Uh, it was a mess. It was a yeah. mess. Like, it looked good. Don't get me wrong. You get on Facebook, right? Facebook, and you're like, <laughs> oh, you're making a million bucks. <laughs> you got good Facebook. Right? Facebook. You got, you got a quotes. lot of good bars. I love it. And then you're like, but in reality, dude, my freaking dumpster fire behind me, right? Like, right. and you're always working towards it. Like you're, you know, I was able now to, to pay higher, right? I went to, I went through through three levels of paying. I went from hourly to an hour, a hybrid hourly plus a production bonus. And once they started getting that little production bonus, dude, the guys were like from $8,000 to $10,000 a week, right? On a truck. And I'm like, okay, we're onto some. So then we went to solely commission. And then the guys really, like some of my guys made $34 an hour, right? And South Carolina is really freaking good. Um, And so we started getting a higher caliber of team members, right? And we say employees, I really think of them as team members because they get a percentage just like I do, right? We're all working, we're all in this together, growing together. And so it's funny how you go through those different layers. But, you know, when I was doing it, it was like, dude, we were just piecing this thing together. And now we just get better and better and better. And then we started adding on the locations. And, dude, we're at, we almost hit 5 million this year. We were, that was the goal, right? We were like 4.9 something. So pretty awesome. But it's not about the money anymore. It's about the community. It's about them. Like, how do we help them, you know, empower people? to do it and that's where i think my mission is now is like it's not about the money like i'm we're set you know what i mean now but now it's about how can we set up other spreading people. the love and changing people's lives and that's what we're all about here
that's what it's become. You know, we, you know, we, I, I explained to you how we've been giving out blade legs to people and raising money for that. And you know, his whole sole purpose is getting people to make money. Everyone this guy meets makes more money when they, uh, <laughs> that's right. But that's a true leader too, right? So we become leaders or, or business owners, if you will, right? But a true leader is somebody who teaches others to do better than them. And then you grow, right? So I, that's a leader, man. Yeah. So I give you mad props. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's, it, it's what I have with, uh, or what you have that I also have is that obsessiveness. Tracking KPIs, looking at this, looking at the data. I want to know this. When do you do this? What is the number here? Like you become, it becomes this game. Then now when it's that, you could lay it out on the table and say, if I move this piece here, this gets better. If I do this, if I pull this back, and it becomes this fun game that is addictive. And then when, you, when you're making money and you can break from the shackles of you need money to survive, once it's past that point, then it's you can actually play the game and look at the chess pieces and get to the next level and start to do these things yes. that you weren't able to do when, it, when you were broke and you, were, you had those limiting beliefs. You yep. know? Yeah, you're, you were reactive back then. Now you're Correct. proactive. So now you know the numbers. And I think for business owners too, like watching this channel, they're like, but that's overwhelming. You know what I mean? Like we're, we become the technician in the very beginning. I want you to become the CEO, right? Now I can look at a P&L and know if I'm gonna buy this company. I didn't know that. 10 years ago, yeah. right? But once you start knowing the numbers, like the weight is lifted off your shoulders and now you can really play chess. Huge. Yeah. Huge. What? So when you got to, you, you surpassed a million, now you're at 5 million, which is awesome a year. What were some of the limiting beliefs you had as a kid? Because when you're growing up, when you're growing up in that kind of an environment, it's pinching pennies and, and don't speak for yourselves. You get in trouble for speaking up for yourself, saying that you got, you got, uh, uh, things were happening in foster care. So there's so many beliefs that are being planted in your brain that are like, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. And all those beliefs don't help in business. No. So one of the big things we always talk about is rewiring your mind because one of our coaches taught us it. like, you got to go back and dewire everything and then rewire with the good shit. Yeah. So, I mean, you had to do a lot of that. Dude, I still, to be honest to this day, I do have a little bit of imposter syndrome, right? Because you're like, who the freak am I to be standing up now, just came from Orlando, right? I was at the PWMCA talking to hundreds of entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. right? And you're like, man, like I was in that crowd, scared shitless, and now I'm up here on the stage, right? Yep. But I think you're right. You do have to rewire your brain because like God can turn anybody into anything, right? Like he can empower anybody. And it's, it shows in the Bible, right? With Abel, right? Like there's a lot of things in there. But for me, it's like he can use me. He can use my story, right? Like coming from foster care, I can empower people and I don't have my phone with me, but my, my why, right? You have your company why, I have a personal why to empower entrepreneurs and underprivileged kids, right? To seek their dreams um, through and through sharing my story. And so I actually, when I go back, I'm gonna be speaking to underprivileged kids at school. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I, I was always afraid to do that, you know? And I think you gotta break out of your comfort zone. And when you do, right on the other side of that is success, no matter what, you, you know? And I wanna break myself down. I wanna be vulnerable because when you are vulnerable, that's when success happens, right? Like we all are human, we all fail. I failed so much in business and I'll tell you what, I'm going to continue to fail and I'm going to continue to learn those hard lessons. Sometimes I call it the stupid tax, right? I paid the stupid tax, <laughs> you know? I like that. Yeah, yeah. Hold but, on real quick. I know uh, you're going to ask a question. What was the name of the school you went to again? 
Um, so Dover. The co- d- college, the college. Oh, uh, Bob Jones. Bob Jones. Dude, this is crazy. I have a great friend of mine who lives in Delaware who owns a roofing company. And his name is Bobby Jones. And we used to own an old company I used to own called Master Networks. We used to own together. And the whole reason I'm thinking about this, his name is Bobby Jones. He went to jail for a couple years. He came out and started his own roofing company. And now he speaks to underprivileged kids and is almost the exact same storyline as so you. Weird. And his name no is Bobby Jones. coincidences, bro. That's Dude, right. I just thought about it while you were saying that, but that's, that's amazing. Awesome. That's the same college. I know. Yeah. I used to work with him. And, and again, he owns a roofing company and, and he speaks to underprivileged kids that's and he's on the awesome. whole same line. So, Dude, so yeah, pouring in, man, that's, that's, that's crazy. Not yeah. a coincidence. That's right. All right, Tom. All right. So at the end of every podcast, I always like to ask this question to everyone. And I feel like your answer can be as long as it, as you need it to be, because, because <laughs> you got a message, man, your, your message is wild. But at the end of the day, what is your message to any and everyone out there, whether it be entrepreneurs or underprivileged kids? What is your message? It's going to be, my message, I think, would be to, you know, don't believe what everybody tells you, right? You know down deep what is possible. And I think my message would be to Goya, you know what I mean? Like, just get off your ass. Get off your ass. I'm going to start and steal that from you. Yes, do it, do it, you know? But that's it, is like, get off your ass. Don't let any, everybody puts their stipulations on you. And when you start making more money than them, it's like crabs in a bucket. They're going to try to pull you down, push out of that, right? And shoot for the stars. Go big, dream big. Have that, you know, big audacious goal and go for it. Think big. That's beautiful. I love it, dude. Listen, Pat, you are an inspiration. You've done a lot of things that, so to to speak, weren't in the cards for you. wasn't meant to make it there, whatever people, you know, typically say. But what you've done is a true testament to just, like, if you just want something and you want it bad enough, shit just happens I wanted to bring this up. You have this thing that it's this syndrome that I've dubbed amputee madness, right? Mm. So every amputee we meet, because we do a lot of work in the amputee community, they're all wild. They're nuts. They're all doing way more than what you think an average person would be doing. And it's, I got a very interesting comment on a post that I put up this morning, this kid talking about, you know, ever since he lost his leg, the world is telling you, oh, you can't do this now. You can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this. And it just goes to what you were just saying. Like, don't listen to what you're being told you can't do. And a lot of the amputees we meet, they're like, fuck that. Yeah. I can't do this. Yeah. I'm doing everything. That's right. And I feel like that's what you've done, but you didn't have to lose a limb. You just went through extreme hardship yeah. as a young person. And yeah. it'd just be amazing if these people could have this madness without having to go through all the bullshit. Yeah. But it's a true testament to, you know, growth happens when you're uncomfortable. That's exactly right. All right. Thanks, Pat. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you guys next week. Appreciate you.